0: jumping into uh, the sixth week in our series that we have titled Important. Uh, As together, we have been walking through some of the most important verses and and sections of Scripture in the New Testament. And and really, the the heart behind this series has been that, yes, all Scripture is important, Uh, that that all Scripture is God-breathed, it's uh, it's, uh, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Righteousness. That yes, all Scripture is a gift from God. And so that means everything from Genesis 1 all the way through to Revelation 22 is there for our good. It's there so that we can uh, discover and come into a relationship with a personal God. Yes and amen to all of that. And yet sometimes, certain Scripture just jumps out in a different way. That dependent upon our context or our circumstances or or the moment we are living in, certain scripture can speak to us in a different way. And, And that can actually mean that it demands more of our attention and demands more of our focus than it normally would. And so what we've been doing through this series is we've been jumping into some really important verses like Romans chapter 8, John 10.10, the Great Commission, some of Jesus' important teachings on what discipleship actually looks like, as well as Jesus' commandment that we should love. And so this week, I want to jump into another section of the scripture that, like those other verses, again, I feel is pretty well known, that we'll all be fairly familiar with it. And again, I feel like it falls into that bucket of really important parts of the Bible, the Beatitudes. Uh, And look, if you've been attending the evening service, you'll know we've been walking verse by verse through the Beatitudes. And uh, what we've really been discovering as we've been doing that is that the Beatitudes are actually this description of what it looks like when your life is transformed by the gospel, what it looks like when the good news of Jesus gets a hold of you and it starts to change you from the inside out. Uh, that, that first we realize we are in poor in spirit, that we actually need Jesus, and then we begin to mourn over our brokenness and we weep over that and, until eventually we become meek and we accept Jesus into our lives and we hand rain of our lives into his hands. Uh, and, and there, uh, o- not overnight, but over time, we are transformed by the Holy Spirit into the sort of person who, uh, can, uh, who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, who is merciful, and eventually we become pure in heart. And look, that has been an absolutely awesome series, and if you're interested in that, I would really encourage you to go away and listen to it online, but what I want to do this morning is I want to take a deep dive into the last Beatitude. And it's really interesting because the way that Jesus chooses to land the Beatitudes, the way Jesus chooses to finish off this journey of what it looks like when your life is transformed by the gospel, is by talking into the opposition that each of us will face if we walk along that path for long enough. So, If you've got your Bible with you, it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, and if you don't, it will be on the screen. Blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That Jesus' final beatitude, his final blessing, and the topic of this morning's message is all about persecution. Which just means it's going to be a nice, light-hearted message with a whole bunch of jokes. Um, No, it's a little bit of a tough message, I'll I'll admit. Uh, But the reason I actually wanted to talk into it this morning is because And the reason I actually think it fits so well into this important series is because I think for a lot of us, this isn't something we like talking about. Uh, Especially in a church context, we don't really like talking about opposition that we face from the world. And yet Jesus did. Uh, He he talked a lot about uh, the opposition and and the persecution we will face in this world, and so I think it's important that we do as well. And, And secondly, I actually think for a lot of us in this room we don't even think this applies to us. You know, despite the fact that uh, persecution of Christians is at an all-time high worldwide, that there are currently over 360 million Christians living in places of high levels of persecution, despite the fact that in the last year alone there have been 6,000 Christians who have been martyred, there have been 5,000 who have been detained without trial or arrested, imprisoned, despite all of that, we, we look at those figures and we go, yeah, but that doesn't apply to me. You know, I, I live in the West. I, I have freedom of religion. I, I'm not getting killed for what I believe. I, I'm not experiencing opposition from this world around us. And look, I, I understand that thought process. I, I get where it comes from. That That is actually my first response as well. And, and yet, it puts us in a bit of a weird space right off the bat. Because we're basically saying that this promise from Jesus isn't for us. That this beatitude isn't for us, And I don't actually think that's the way we're supposed to read this, that the, the Beatitudes are for every Christian. This is a part of what it looks like to follow after Jesus. And, and so what I want to do is I want to quickly break down two ideas about the idea of persecution, uh, and then we can jump into the meat of tonight. Uh, this morning's message. Does that sound good? All right, so firstly, persecution is a promise. See, remember, the way we need to look at the Beatitudes is it's this journey of what happens when you, you seek after Jesus. That first you are saved, then you are transformed, you are sanctified, then you become agents of God's peace in the world. And what must happen after that, as a necessary consequence of who you are becoming in Jesus, is you must face opposition from this world around us. That Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulations. Not you might. Not not you could, not you should be ready in case something pops up. No, in this world, you will face trials, you will face troubles of many kinds. And so, yes, I'll be the first to admit that for us living in Kenmore in 2022, it looks different to other parts of the world. That because we do not live in a culture that is ruled by violence and fear, the way and manner in which the world opposes us is actually different to our brothers and sisters in parts of the world like China or Iraq or India. That we're not going to be killed because of what we believe in. That's not the world we live in. But as I read the Bible, as I read the words that Jesus has to say to us, I cannot help but see that as Christians, opposition does not run on an opt-in system. That experiencing condemnation from this world around us is not a choice we get to make. That persecution is our promise. And and, and so as we we walk into this idea this morning, I I want you to start thinking about what that actually looks like in your life. See, maybe you're here this morning and and the way you experience it is in the squeezing of your integrity. That you know, there are people in your life, your your classmates or your colleagues or your friends, and, and they know you're a Christian, right? And it's like they do everything in their power just, just to push you over the edge, just to get you to do something that they know you shouldn't do. Oh, you don't have to follow procedures on this one. It's okay. Just skip it. No one will know. Oh, you can have that extra drink. It'll be fine. Oh, you can cheat on this quiz. No one's actually going to check. It doesn't really matter. And they say these things Not because they even want you to do them, but because they know that if you fail to live up to the values you have declared, then you are just like everyone else. Maybe you're here this morning and you've experienced it as hate. That that someone finds out you're a Christian. And before you have a chance to explain what that means or, or what it looks like to follow after Jesus in your life, they start saying things like, Oh, I hate Christians. Christians are stupid. How could you want to be a Christian? I mean, aren't Christians all just these small-minded and self-righteous bigots? And it's like you experience this this opposition and this adversity from the world, and you know there's no basis for it. It's not grounded in anything you've done or any um, life that you have shown to the world around you, and yet because you have declared Jesus as your Lord, all of a sudden you're just the enemy. Maybe you've experienced it as loss of friendship or a family relationship blowing up because you brought Jesus back into your home with you. And now it's like all of a sudden those people want nothing to do with you anymore. Maybe you've experienced it as a loss of promotion or a loss of job opportunity or a raise, and it's like your workplace just doesn't want you to be a Christian. Look, maybe you're here this morning and you have actually experienced it as physical violence. And I know I know that these are not the same as being physically killed for what we believe in. But when I talk to people, and I hear them saying things like, I stopped losing friends when I stopped talking about God. Or my workplace just doesn't want me to be a Christian. Or I tried telling people about Jesus, but everyone just told me to jump off a cliff, so I stopped. I cannot help hear those things and see that we are still facing opposition in the West today, that persecution is still our promise. But we do have to be careful, because we need to make sure that when we're talking about opposition, when we're talking about persecution, that we're being persecuted for all the right reasons, that Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness he doesn't say, blessed are you when you're hated for being obnoxious. He, he doesn't say blessed are you when you're having a hard time because you're being difficult to talk to, or you're argumentative, or or you're just seriously lacking any wisdom in how you share the gospel with those around you. It's blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when the world hates you because it sees Jesus inside of you. See, I think Yes, sometimes as Christians we are persecuted because of what we believe, because of our values, that 100%. But I think often we're persecuted because we're just jerks. That, like, I can say, because this, this was me, um, we do the stupidest of things, right? Like, we argue for the sake of arguing. And we will take the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the word of God, and we'll use it to create arguments and disagreements and strife. And we'll debate with people, not because we love them or because we want them to know the truth or find Jesus, but because we somehow think if we, we argue and we use the Bible as our basis and we just have these discussions all the time, this robust conversation, and then somehow we just look smart. Look, that is not the point of the Bible. And that is definitely not what Jesus is talking about you. That, yes, the Bible is a sword, and there are times where its truth should be wielded as such to pierce into people's hearts. But it is never a sledgehammer. It should never be used to to belittle, to beat down, or to create conflict. So yes, persecution is our promise. We just need to make sure that we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And look, so so with those two facts squared away, I think the way we should read this beatitude this morning is that if your life has been captured by the gospel, then it should be a life marked by persecution. That if you are truly seeking after Jesus, then this world will throw opposition at you. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is I want to unpack three ways that actually unfolds in our lives. Three three truths we will experience if we are truly seeking after Jesus. And how in each and every one of them, it is so, so worth it. All right. first and foremost, if you are serious about following after Jesus, you will look different to the rest of the world. Uh, John 15, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. That if we are chasing after Jesus and not the things of this world, we will, by definition, look different to that world. That the life that Jesus is inviting us into is not the life the world is inviting us into. And so what that means is as Christians, we do things differently. We do relationships differently, we do family differently, we do our jobs differently, we do money differently. In a world that says it's all about me, myself, and I, and whoever ends up with the most toys wins, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In a world that idolizes wealth and prestige and how many zeros you have at the end of your bank account, Jesus says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil and it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In a world that says casual relationships are the go and sex is just an appetite, Jesus says from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That according to Jesus, marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime, and that is God's perfect plan and intention for how it should work. In a world that says porn is just natural, that it's a victimless crime and everyone does it, Jesus says do not even look at a woman with lustful intent. That every single woman caught up in the brokenness of that industry is someone's daughter and an image bearer of God and is deserving of being treated as such. In a world that says get to the top and stay there, Whatever it costs, and whoever you have to trample to get there, Jesus says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, that we are called to be different. And and look, I know I'm highlighting some really big topics there. And and they're controversial, controversial to the world around us. And I think the reason we don't actually like talking about those topics is because it is in them that our difference is made most apparent from the rest of the world. That Augustine said that followers of Jesus should be most distinguishable from the world in their attitudes towards three things, money, sex, and power. That if you are truly seeking after Jesus, you will look different to the rest of this world. That you will stick out like a sore thumb. That you will be a city on a hill whose light cannot help but be seen. You will be salt thrown on a meal that cannot help but be tasted. You will be different. But, and this is an important but, the point is not to be different for the sake of being different. We aren't just called to, to be against the culture we are living but we shouldn't just be anti-capitalism or anti-media or anti-violence or, for some reason, anti-Harry Potter. Um, (laughs) You guys too. Um, We should always be pro-Jesus, that that we don't just look different to the things around us. The reason we look different is because we look like Christ. And and what happens when that is true is the world will take notice. And what will happen is is those around us, they will compare their own self-righteousness, their own good deeds to the manifest righteousness of Christ in your life. And in comparison, everything they bring to the table will look showy and cheap and fake. And and that'll do something. It'll either cause people to come running away from you in in fear and in anger towards Jesus. Or it'll stir up something in them that, that makes them long to have that in their lives, and they will come running towards it that people should look at us and see Christ in us and it should be irresistible to them. It should be something so desirable that they cannot help come to him. But you know who else will notice? And this is something I don't think we actually talk about often enough in church. Other believers. That for too long, I think we've bought the lie that our relationship between us and Jesus is just about us that it doesn't affect anyone else, that it's just me and him. And I don't think that's true. That that you are not walking this journey with Christ in isolation. That there are other believers around you who need to look at you and see there is something different about you, and that means they can be different as well. Because you know what happens when you're different, right? You'll be contemplating walking away from a really difficult marriage. And yet you will choose to do the really, really hard work of loving and submitting and going through the process of reconciliation. And and by the grace of God in your life, that that marriage will be restored. And and you know what will happen. There will be six other couples in the church who are considering going through a divorce. And when they look at you and when they look at how you have been different from the world around us, when they look at what Jesus has done in your marriage, they'll go, look, maybe I can be different too. Maybe God can restore our relationship." Guys, you'll be struggling with porn. And yet, because you know Jesus is calling you to something better, you will do the hard yards of creating barriers and installing apps and blocking websites and creating accountability. And again, through the grace of God in your life, you will break off that addiction. And what will happen is you will go to your small group, And you will share that testimony, and there will be five other guys in your small group who have the exact same problem, and they will see that maybe through God they can be different as well. That, church, we are not just following Jesus for ourselves. We aren't just different for the sake of being different. That this world needs Jesus. And maybe the only way the world will ever see him is if they first see him inside of you. So yes, if you are serious about following after Jesus, you will look different to the rest of the world. But it is worth it because you will look more like Jesus. And the thing is, if you do that, life will be harder. Secondly, if you are serious about following after Jesus, your life will be harder. And see, again, I think so often as Christians we get this really wrong. Because Jesus does not promise us an easier life. A more abundant life, yes. A more joyful life, absolutely, but an easier life, no way. Uh, Matthew 7, 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few that being a Christian is not supposed to be easy. Let me say that again. Being a Christian is not supposed to be easy. I mean, let's just get really practical for a second, okay? And let's actually ignore the opposition we face in the world just for a bit. Um, If you want to do money, the way that Jesus says to do money, you are starting at a lower income level than everyone else. That way, everyone else has 100% of their income to meet their mortgage repayments or or rent or to cover groceries or school fees, you have to make do with 90%. If you do Sabbath and rest and you establish rhythms, the way that Jesus says to establish rhythms, you have one less day in your week. That way everyone else has seven days to to do the the groceries and and clean the house and do the laundry and, and earn an income, you have to make do with six. If you want to do marriage, the way Jesus says to do marriage, and and look, never been married, so take from this what you will. But what I read in the Bible is that if you do marriage the way Jesus says to do marriage, it sounds really, really hard. It, It means both sides continually sacrificing and pouring yourselves out and dying to your own desires so that you can serve your partner. It means men, because I read the Bible as a guy. It means we are called to be like Christ is to the church, to wives. And that means we lead, not the way the world leads, but we lead by being the first to forgive. We lead by being the first to repent, the first to admit we're wrong, the first to sacrifice and to love when all that is in you is telling you not to. And that sounds really hard. That if you want to be different to the world, then it will be hard, and it will require hard work. And again, that isn't even taking into consideration the opposition we face from the world. So let's throw that back into the mix. Because you know what is hard? It is hard to deal with the fact that your friend has completely cut you out of your lives because you told them about Jesus. It is hard to have a family relationship blow up because you brought Jesus back into your home, and now every time you come together, it's just really awkward sitting around the table because everyone knows what you believe, everyone knows what you value, and they disagree with you, and now that relationship is just gone. It is hard to live with the fact that people think of you as a small-minded bigot because you believe in things like the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage, and you actually speak about those things. And it's not like the world even thinks you're wrong. I mean... They do think you're wrong, but they don't just think your views of the world are wrong. They actually view you as the enemy. They view you as someone who is trying to actively oppose their freedoms and their liberties. It is hard to know that that you might not be getting that promotion, or you might lose that raise, or you might actually lose your job because you are telling people in your workplace about Jesus because you know you are being called to be a faithful witness. And yet the thought of your colleagues entering into eternity apart from Jesus breaks your heart so much that you cannot help but tell them the truth. It is hard, church. And I think it should be. Because I don't think it was easy for Jesus to go to the cross. And so I don't know if it should be any easier for us to follow in his footsteps. And can I just say, that is why the prosperity gospel is such a heresy. Because it teaches a message that says, from the moment you meet Jesus, it's just all up and to the right. That if you give your life to Jesus, then you are guaranteed a life of cash, money, and prizes. And look, what that does to a new believer is that they will eventually go through those hard times, that they will come under opposition, they will go through the dark night of the soul. And if all they have ever been told is that life as a Christian should be easy, then they will begin to hate and resent the God who has withheld that ease from them. But if you go into your walk with Christ expecting to face hardship, expecting to face opposition, then you will go through those same seasons and instead of running away from God, you will come running to him and he will give you a strength that you never thought was possible. Uh, 2 Corinthians, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, with insults, with hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That yes, we are promised life will be harder if we follow after Christ. But when we do that, when we enter into that, we are promised that Christ will come alongside us and give us a strength that is far bigger than anything that could come from us. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. That Jesus promises us that he will come alongside us and he will give us a peace that transcends understanding. He will give us a hope that cannot be shaken and he will give us a joy that is unfailing. He will give us a strength, church. And through that, in that, we can endure every hardship the world can throw at that the presence of heaven is never closer, the strength of God in us never greater than when we become like Jesus and we join him in his suffering. So yes, if you are serious about following after Jesus, life will be harder. But it is worth it because your strength will be greater. All right, for this third point, I'm going to kind of mix things up a bit. Um, I had a whole section here talking about how if we're serious about following after Jesus, we will be hated. And and yes, there's truth to that, and those are strong words, but they're Jesus' words, so I can say them. Um, But for for the rest of our time this morning, I actually don't want to talk into that. I would rather talk into the reward and and the benefit and, and why all of this is actually so, so worth it. See, this last beatitude is really, really interesting because the blessing you get in the last beatitude is actually the same as the blessing you get in the first beatitude. That in both cases, that the person who who first realizes they actually need Jesus, the one who realizes they are poor in spirit, and the person who is being persecuted because of Jesus, both of them receive the kingdom of heaven. And I think the reason that this reward appears both times is because that is exactly what we are fighting for. That we are willing to suffer through the last beatitude so that others may enter into the first beatitude. See, we we don't suffer, we don't endure hate, we don't uh, be different because we enjoy it. We endure it because we need people to know the truth. That we can withstand pain and hatred because we know the eternity we are fighting for people to enter into. That we are willing to suffer in order to plunder hell and populate heaven. That is why we are here. That is why the church exists, that is why each and every one of us are standing here with breath in our lungs today, that we should be driven by eternity and making sure as many people will enter into it as possible. And I actually think that's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about rewards in heaven. When he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. That people are the reward. Because the only thing we will actually bring into heaven, right? What well, we're not going to bring through our bank accounts, But well, we're not going to bring through our, our cars or our nice house or our perfect church attendance or our tithing record, the only thing we get to bring with us into eternity is the people we helped get there. See, we should be driven by a desire to enter through the pearly gates one day and have as many people enter in with us as possible. not not for our own glory or for our own namesake, but, but so that as many people as possible may enter into eternity with Jesus. That is why it is worth it. That is why it is so, so worth it, that we are willing to suffer for that glory, that there is something irresistible to this world when we suffer well. When they look at all we go through, when they look at all we endure, and yet we remain faithful to Jesus. When we join with the martyrs of the church and we share the gospel even though they put us to the stake. When we sing praises while we are in shackles and we say God is still good even when they tell us they will kill us if we do. That is what we are being called into. To suffer well for the sake of one more soul entering into heaven. For the sake of one more person hearing that there is hope and his name is Jesus. That is the joy set before us, that we are willing to endure all the opposition the world can throw at us. So yes, if you are serious about following after Jesus, you will be hated, you will face opposition. But it is worth it. Because it means your witness will be greater. So look, as we finish this off, and and the band can start coming up, I I know this has been an intense message. Uh, That there haven't been a lot of jokes, I haven't thrown in too many fun analogies or uh, anything to sort of break up the intensity, but again, I actually think this is a really important topic. And I think it's one that is deserving of some weight, and it's deserving of being treated in that way. And so as we close off this morning, I I want to ask you one question. Where is it in your life that you feel Jesus is calling you to be different? Where is it in your life that you need to look a little bit more like Jesus and a little less like the world? Is it in your workplace? Do you show up every day, Monday through to Friday, and just do the things that everyone else does because that's how it works, and and you know that if you swim against the flow, if you break the mold, then there's going to be opposition? Or do you rock up to, to work on Monday and you are just on fire? that you go into work in a way that just represents Jesus, that you work with such energy and enthusiasm that it glorifies your position and it glorifies your boss and your company, and most of all, it glorifies Jesus to the world? Is it in your family? Do, do you interact with the world the way that oh, with, your, with your family, with your husband or your, your wife or your kids in the way the world says to you? Because you can do that, right? And if you're doing what the world is doing in your family, you will get the same results the world is getting. And when I look at the the families of the world, I see brokenness, I see neglect, I see absent fathers, and I see divorce. Or you can invite Christ into your household. You can love your husband and your wife as Christ first loved you. You can create a space where your children can grow up knowing Jesus and coming to have a relationship with him. You can have doors that are open to all those around you. is in how you deal with your money. Because the way the world says to, to handle money is that it's all mine, and I can do with it what I want. Or do you live like all the money is God's anyway and you just give him back the first and the best so that he can bless the rest? That every cent you have in your bank account is a blessing from Jesus given to you so that you can bless those around you? Where is it you need to be different, church? See, at the end of the day, we don't follow after Jesus because he promises us a better life. We don't follow after Jesus because he gives us cash cash and money and prizes or he makes our lives more comfortable. We follow after Jesus because he is better than life. And look, that means you're going to be different. That you will look fundamentally different from the world around you. It means things will be harder. That your life will be categorically more difficult than if you weren't a Christian. And it means you'll be hated. but I think it's worth it. Because it also means you will look more like Jesus. That you will reflect Christ to a world that so desperately needs him. It means your strength will be greater than anything that could ever have come from you. And it means your witness, your witness will be greater than you could have ever imagined. See, at the end of the day, Jesus turns to each of us and he says, if anyone would come after me, then let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and follow after me. See, ultimately, a life gripped by the gospel is one that follows after Jesus. And that means that sometimes we follow him all the way to the bitter end and we join him in his suffering because he is worth it. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you have called us to be different that you have called us to look different to this world around us, but, but not for our own sake, not, not for the sake so that we may just stand out for the sake of standing out, but so that we may look like you, so that we may reflect your image to a world that so desperately needs you. Lord, I thank you that you give us the strength, that you come alongside us and you give us strength so we can endure whatever the world throws at us. And Lord, I thank you that you would even consider using us. That through the brokenness we endure, through the suffering of this world, we can witness you to that world. So Lord, I just pray for every heart you Lord, that that wherever it is, whatever it is that you are calling us to be different, he would give us the courage to do that, Lord. He would give us the strength to do it. Lord, that we would leave this place and we would be different. That we would just seek after you, Lord. Pray this in your mighty name. Amen.